crushes your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Death crush your dreams. And he's like, I don't want to sell them. I just want to make them and do stuff. I know. I just want to. I just want to play with them. <laughs> um, Andy, I don't know. Like tier five mount. Right. We gotta get a tier five <laughs> yeah, mount from exactly. somebody. Well, it's not gonna be me because I don't play that much. <laughs> oh, three kids. <laughs> she says that you got more time than any, probably any of us. I'm gonna be play. I'm gonna be perusing the foreclosure market. That's what I'm gonna be doing. <laughs> she said, "Okay, first up, well, actually, we can get into uh, the the you know that topic." But Annie says this, but like, and wow, I had like one like when when we first started playing uh, Dragonflight. I oh my god! Hi, Steven. Hello. I think she will be too. Oh my god, my heart just stopped. Hopefully, um, we'll get it for her. Oh god. <laughs> oh god. Don't don't mess with me like that, Stephen. Oh my god. Um, I think one of Maybe uh, heart just skipped a beat. I am. Ah, Jesus. Talking about trying to, to get Stephen. I'm gonna have to edit all the fangirling and me blushing <laughs> off the stream. <laughs> I don't even know how Steven, I would do real? Yeah, if you're for real, I will I will throw you a Twitch guest star right now. Oh god. Are we sure this is this is the real Steven Sharif? This is me on Discord. Oh my holy <laughs> Oh my god. Dude, I'm I'm going to cry. Um Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. Um yeah, no, go ahead uh Oh my! So I sent the no uh, Twitch guest star. Oh my! Uh, uh, guys, I'm trying not to be such a fangirl right now, play, but I'm gonna lose my. Cool. Feet. Yeah. I'm, I can't. I. Oh my god! We did it. Hello. How's it going, Steven? It's going well. How are you? We are great. Thank Good. you for joining the show. <laughs> Surprised, yeah, honestly. I, <laughs> I got I got home uh, and I saw the notification on twit on Twitter, and I jumped in and was listening for a little bit. And I thought, hey, what the hell? <laughs> I oh, just awesome! Thank on you. On and chat with you. You guys are having a fun conversation. Yeah, yes, we. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we were going to dive into the two of the hot topic things, which was the player response to some of the freehold um, information, the newer information, then as well as uh, the one after this is the, the resource bags. Um, which I, like, I like how, uh, I like how Vish said that Margaret right now is legit the dog in the flaming house meme. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's okay. It's like, this is fine. Yeah. Because we've always good. joked that if like, because our whole show is based off of tangents that if we could get you on, like we figured maybe if we got a couple tangents going that maybe some spoilers come. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> no i'll try to be good i'll try to be good <laughs> so yeah what'd you guys think about the article today um really I, liked it. I actually liked it a lot it was thorough and answered a lot of questions i had had and there was some stuff in there that i wasn't aware so that was really cool yeah i think yeah, we were was good i no, Oop, go, go ahead. ahead sorry oh no steven you have the floor <laughs> go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say we had intended to, to release it last week but um, I wanted to include a little bit more meat behind the system um, and I think get a little bit more uh, specific on exactly how these things are intended to work for Alpha 2. So uh, I, thought, I thought people would like that. But anytime you kind of venture into that territory of getting really specific, that's when, you know, 
you run the risk of going a bit in depth on a system and the broader audience that might not you know fully perhaps understand the intricacies or interconnections that exist between the different systems and the intent they might read into something and think well wait a minute why is that being done right so the more in depth you can get something the more difficult it is to communicate verbally or in written context without being in the game and experience it and seeing those systems you know come to life so to speak yeah, that's something we've kind of talked about too, is that there's there's so many other systems that we don't know how they interplay together, especially like with nodes being a big part of freeholds and everything like that, without knowing with hopefully we're seeing that next month. Um without knowing <laughs> this month. This month. Is it, yeah, this month. Oh my god. Yeah, this month. Um oh, so yeah, without really knowing <laughs> like the intricacies of that too, like it's hard to know. Like some of this does kind of come at you like it's it's one portion of in this overarching system so it is harder to know like well how does this actually work especially without also having your hands on it too it's i think that's something we've kind of keep coming back to a bit with these questions is like you know we don't fully understand how all this works and and what it takes to get to get freeholds with especially with you guys right. introducing the idea of like this three-layer system right and things like that um yeah, one the, thing you know oh go ahead no you go ahead please no, feel free to was, cut, I, cut me off. No, just keep talking. I was, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, you know, even though the system as described um, is intricate and kind of, you know, gives the intent behind how it's going to be developed for Alpha 2, the most important thing to remember is that, like, Alpha 2 is really the testing grounds for a lot of the uh, more minute details of how a particular system works. And you can change a lot of those details without actually needing to change the feature that's been developed, right? These are variables that exist within the code that we have control over so that when we want to iterate upon it, um, it's easy to do iterations. And some of those iterations can feel very impactful to the system overall. So Alpha 2 really is meant to kind of gauge this initial approach and then we're afforded the ability to kind of change that drastically by tuning and changing some of the aspects of the uh of the specifics of the system right so one of those things is i saw people saying like well <clears throat> you know when when you think about how many nodes there are and how many counties or excuse me how many uh, baronies um, that we saw that exist on this map <clears throat> that equates to like 500 plus guild halls well, one of the aspects of the Guildhall um, uh, uh, access is that only a limited subsect of the Guildhalls available around the node are available concurrently. Oh, okay. There's many choices of those six, right? So you might only have two that might be available at fifth level and then three at sixth level of a node. Um, and the guilds have an opportunity to select from the six available which three are going to be active. All right, that's sweet. Yeah, because we were yeah. just talking about that. We were like, we don't know if, how many of these can be active or how it works. But I mean, that whole that diagram that you guys put out, I really enjoyed seeing that and kind of like having that grasp of like, okay, so these things are kind of be centered around that. Um, yeah. I had, what did I have? Oh, yeah. So th what you were bringing up about having like, you know, adjusting the dials and, and levers and, and that was one of the concerns that was kind of brought up with our, in our Discord was yeah. like, well, if they've been working on this, but now they're asking for this, like how much effort needs to go in. And I remember from streams ago of like you guys talking about how you want to have these, you know, kind of an easier access of we're going to be able to adjust and iterate like kind of on the fly. Cause mm -hmm. I believe at one point you guys even said, even when servers were live, that was how you wanted to adjust and tune that you'd still in the background, be able to uh, manipulate things 
as you guys saw things kind of come online or if this works or that doesn't work or, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what we're providing and how these systems are built are very data driven and don't require us to, let's say, repackage a client and deliver that update to the user for us to adjust data on the back end of the game and do that during runtime. Um, so we can actually uh, we can actually create a lot of different environments of testing for a particular system within a running alpha two um, without having to let's say bring the servers down, repackage, and deliver an update to the user. Oh, cool! Yeah, right. I'm trying. I'm tr my. I'm hearing you talk, <laughs> and it's like blowing my mind right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So recovering uh, so, from the shock. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> How do you guys feel about the, you know, one of the biggest things I saw over the course of the last couple of weeks since we've, you know, had that stream and and we've been gauging kind of the community's response to that is this is what appears to me as kind of like an aversion uh, to a degree of what has been for a long time one of the central tenants and and core pillars of the game, which is this idea of risk versus reward, exclusivity, kind of scarcity that exists. You know, not everybody gets a trophy, but I think that this example of the freehold um, system kind of being shown is that a lot of people want the ability to own a piece of land and to engage in these core gameplay loops of farming and and of livestock and that type of interaction, owning a home and customizing that location. And when it's been resurfaced that, you know, these these freeholds are exclusive to a degree that they're achievements that you have to strive for and that limitation, there's a bit of pushback. Uh, what is your guys thoughts kind of been about that? So, so for me, oh, you go ahead. Go oh, ahead. no, you can go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll go next. <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh, I'll, I'll remember mine. Well, I had <laughs> um, I was going to say, so I I'm a big fan of like high risk, high reward, like Jamie and I, I think definitely like live our lives that way to an extent like we just up and moved from new hampshire to kentucky on a whim like because we oh, just wanted wow. something new like yeah like and people are like why'd you move here and we're like just, just felt like it kind of you know like that's um, kind of cool so, i like the spot yeah. spontaneity of that that's yeah awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so like it's nice having that in a video game and like i think in a lot of ways like world of warcraft making exclusive mounts like available now through twitch drops and stuff like that like is a big shame and it's yeah it really hurts the integrity of the game and stuff so with ashes of creation the fact that they are having you know i say they but <laughs> you <laughs> and your project are um having like that high risk high reward like not everybody gets a trophy mentality is like really really great and like i i love it for the freeholds but i think my point of concern with it is it being max level like mm, in order yeah. to obtain one which is going to lead to a bunch of people love level rushing right. because they want to get one first and then they're not going to yeah. enjoy the game you guys are building right. as much as that, they otherwise you know it's funny actually that you that you mentioned that because that was for a time a lively debate on our design team um about whether or not there should be a level gate um essentially from even preventing uh, the potential for ownership the, the reason why I chose um, to keep it at level 50 for now um, is because there are alternate systems that provide access at lower levels 
uh, through permission setting, right? So it's one thing to own the home. It's another thing to access the contents and to continue progression, let's say in the processing profession you might want to gain mastery in. Um, that mastery process leaves the nodes at around at around like level 30 in the in the leveling experience for a processing profession. And so um, one of the debates on the design team was whether or not we should reduce the uh, level requirement down to level 30 so that there's a seamless transition from node-based processing progression and the freehold uh, capability of progression. Um, the reason why I think that there's never gonna be a way to avoid rushing levels um, is because anytime you have a vertical power progression in a game, there is always going to be a reason to rush leveling. Um, and that's just kind of the standard MMO experience that many of us have, have had, right? Uh, not all of us do it because not all of us really care about the vertical progression there um, or have the time and ability to do it, right? But um, generally, so long as there's a vertical power structure in place, you're going to have an incentive to rush that leveling process. Um, and the idea isn't that you will need to rush leveling to 50 in Ashes of Creation in order to achieve a freehold because you have to also remember that the world structure is what predicates the availability of freeholds. So as nodes come on, <coughs> excuse me, as nodes come online over time, people will reach level 50 before the last node has reached level three, right? Before even half the nodes probably have reached level three, before even probably a quarter of the nodes have reached level three. And as those nodes continue to progress and grow, those freeholds will slowly be trickling out to the populations, which gives time for the people that didn't perhaps, let's say, rush leveling to 50, still be capable of purchasing freeholds within those territories. And one other thing I would say is that there's a bit of a strategy when it comes to prioritization of what, of what you're going to do in a game like Ashes. A lot of people will bolt to 50. They won't care about establishing their infrastructure. I don't know if you ever play like board games or any Forex strategy games, stuff like that, any resource management or action economy games. But oftentimes early in those games, you have to kind of make a decision, right? If it's like a, let's say it's like some type of, you know, victory point structure, you sometimes have an option to get victory points or you can establish your foundation and you can start building up your economy and you can start building up your capabilities without going for the gold to start because then you're gonna slingshot once you have all that infrastructure in place and go for that level 50. Those are viable options because of the way that freeholds trickle out onto the server with the world state being progressed over time. It might be a smarter choice not to rush to 50 but rather to take your time establishing that foundation so that when you reach level 50 and the rest of the nodes are now progressing to the point where they can release freeholds, you will have the best possible chance of contending for that freehold because you spent the time early not to rush to 50, but rather establish that foundation. Like there, you know, the aspect of this strategy is an important component of how you might achieve the freehold. The other thing to keep in mind is that, and this is something that I didn't, I, I don't know if I elaborated on in the article or not, but um, <clears throat> there are there are bound currencies that exist within the game, right? And then there is the general currencies that's usually achieved through certificates and the ability to trade those certificates in to get gold um, that we've talked about in the past. But some of those bound currencies are like favor. You know, these are points that you achieve doing some divine quest lines, participating in divine story arcs or honor, which is like PVP oriented uh, unique currency, stuff like that, right? 
the most common denominator of availability for freeholds through the auction is going to be through gold. However, there will be a subselect of freehold um, uh, options that are available in each node based on the node type that will correspond to one of those bound currencies in addition to gold. So what we do there is we kind of spread out the availability of freeholds to different play styles and different focuses. So the player that might rush to level 50, will they might have an advantage when bidding on gold-based freeholds, but they may not have the advantage of the favor player or the honor player oh, uh, who is going okay. <laughs> to be progressing within those play styles, right? So the idea is that we're not reserving freeholds for the top 10% of levelers. We're reserving freeholds for the top 10% across the multiple different play paths that exist within the game. And this spreads out that ownership across different play styles. So all right, that's I like all that I it. needed to hear. That's so good. I like yeah. that answer a lot, <laughs> especially too, like because we we do lack some of the context to go like, oh, like I didn't even think of. Yeah, once once you know level threes are coming or level three nodes are coming on, like most of us will probably be level 50 to begin with. So like that rush really, at least for the people first come, because obviously it's going to be a different experience to those as they join a year later, because everything, the world's going to be different like that. But also those people are probably going to rush anyway, because they've got friends that they have in there. And like any of, I, I said this early in the, the stream too, like I already know that I'm going to degen the game when it first comes out to where I'm going <laughs> to, like that's just the type of player I am where I will try it, it. Everything in me will say stop and try to enjoy everything. But like, I'm going to try to push myself to get towards, because I love seeing that, that, you know, you, you see the numbers go up. You're like, Oh good. It's numbers go up. Good. So once it hits I'm 50, more leisurely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just have to drag any along. Um, God, that was, that was a huge wealth of information that I'm, I'm trying to take in. And I think that did answer <laughs> So many of some of the mystery, I guess, behind it, because we we were um, we had also brought up too about how people felt about the three layer bidding system. But like I said, we kind of lost, we didn't have some of that context. So, mm -hmm. and this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier that the 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 streams kind of do reach a broader audience where people yeah. like us who obviously are making content or people that are watching an obscure podcast to like we're really tuned into a lot of things so i do think having like an article like this also was was so much was, was really beneficial to see all this in-depth things but i also think like some of us are also theory crafters so then we see this and we're like wait okay so but now how does that work so then yeah, we end up walking away questions with, right walking yeah. away with yep. a million more questions and and the thing i think yes. the thing that always comes back to it is like we just have to wait till some of these things we're not going to know until we have it in our hands. We're able to touch it, able to see yeah. things and say, okay, this does feel good. This does make sense where we, we yeah, are. And that's, in a, yeah. And that's yeah. what I was trying to hit on early, right? Is that like when you start to pull a thread and that thread is game design specifics, right? That thread just doesn't stop yeah. because the way that ashes <laughs> is created is that, in order to create a solid identity and a comprehensive play experience, all of these systems are developed in such a way where max interdependency is aimed for, right? And that means that this thread connects to a lot of different things. Like we just talked about bound currencies. We talked about node progression. We talked about limited selection of, of the guild halls. We talked about family interactions and permission sets. We talked about maximum level progression across the grandmaster professions. Like 
this choice, these these intricate details of the system, they reverberate throughout the rest of the game design. And in order for us to have a solid play experience, and it's impossible to communicate this within a single monthly update, or if we were writing articles about all the game design all the time, you know, we would just have a, a constant flux of community interaction, debate, you know, and I don't know how healthy that is to have at this point uh, leading into Alpha 2 when the experience is had from a tactile perspective as opposed conversationally, right? And in order to kind of see these systems in concert with one another and determine whether or not um, the choices made achieve the goal of the system or the systems, um, that is something that is required to be really more part of playtesting. And so I'm always hesitant with streams like last month's or with articles like this to really get too deep, to get too in depth with what we have planned with these systems um, because they provide an opportunity to muddy the water or create a bit of noise around really what the goals are of the game, right? Trusting that the developers are making the best decisions possible with how these systems are going to interact with one another. And I know that's a tall order given some of the games we've played in the past. Um, but, you know, trusting that that, that that conceptually is being articulated in such a way that maintains the identity and the core pillars of the game. Um, and then when Alpha 2 comes out and it's in our hands, that's when the feedback is most valuable because it's then given in context, right? It's not specifically focused on one particular aspect. Yeah, I think when you go too deep too, people can hold on sometimes to those details. And then if it does change, then they get upset. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like a game in so, development can't iterate. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> they interpret it as set in stone. Right, yeah, yep. exactly. And I mean, we I, saw that. We saw that just this. Uh, you know, it's so funny, actually, hilarious. Um, this week, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, it was just a really busy week, and I didn't have an opportunity to kind of take a look at the planned socials uh, on on Twitter and and the other social platforms uh, from our community team. And uh, there was a post that was made Wednesday morning. I woke up, I was, it was like 5.30. I was, you know, getting ready to kind of start the day. 6 a.m., this, this scheduled post goes out on Twitter and I'm reading it and it just has a picture of the uh, inventory system. And it says, what do you think about this, right? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I cannot even believe the flood that's about to happen. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I immediately go on and I'm like, wait, let me give context. And then I requote it and I put it on the ashes but you know obviously it starts a it's it just starts a deluge of experiences that aren't necessarily reflective of the intent behind the system in ashes but do represent the experiences that players have had in other games and they take that as a one-to-one -one the moment they see kind of the perspective of the inventory but again there's a particular reason for why that inventory system is intended to exist within ashes and and part of that is from the aspect of you know everything in the world is gatherable and there is a land management system that exists behind those gatherable things. The land management system kind of takes into account how players are interacting with the environment, 
how many of the resources they're withdrawing from the world. And that decreases the spawn rate within certain localities as those things go too high. So there can be a degree of economic warfare by sending players out into zones where you want to mitigate you know, collection of resources. You send your players out there to take all those resources, and then that diminishes the land management score of that particular zone. And so when you think about other games that have had uh, systems um, such as being able to gather anything from the world, one of two things usually arises. Either those players, whoops, uh-oh, I didn't touch my computer for a second. Oh, you're, you're still here. Oh, no. You're still here. You're still here. One of two things either happens. Either uh, people just at all times are expected to gather and, and collect things when they're out in the wild, like we saw in a recent game, where if you're not doing that, you're not, not the most optimal. Or they impose kind of a, a hard limit throttle, like a labor system, or you know something that mitigates how much you can do a thing. Um, our approach with kind of addressing that necessity was let's talk about inventory management. And if a player is going to leave a node and go out and start adventuring, if everything's gatherable and the only restriction is your tools and the level of mastery within that particular gathering profession, um, then what's to stop them from ever acquiring everything? Well, there's kind of two primary methods by which you can approach that, either through a weight management system or through a spatial system. And when you talk about the complexities available through like, let's say bag progression, weight is a very monocentric aspect, monocentric kind of uh, um, uh, restriction. Whereas when you have stack size and shape size, and you can cater certain bag types based on slot management to be more conducive towards particular types of shapes and have varying stack sizes available, it's not about the mini game of how do I organize that because there's an auto sort feature but rather it's more focused around what types of bags am I going to equip during that time? And how am I going to determine which resources I should interact with when I'm out in the wild, knowing that before I can gather everything, I will have to go back to a storage location and deposit what I have gathered, right? Now it's about how do I manage time? Because the time is traveling back and forth from those storage locations, right? So, so like, you know, it's difficult to kind of explain that in a post or in a um, uh, in a in a live stream to a degree, uh, and it's and it's difficult to get kind of you know context for that, especially if you're not as an engaged user or an engaged audience member. If you're just seeing this on the sideline, and you're like, wait a minute, I I've played Tetris before. I don't like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So that that was something because that was actually one of the things that we were uh, going to discuss tonight. Um, and I was kind of a proponent of it because I think I kind of took it from the way that like kind of seeing how certain games handle things where, yeah, you can have a stack size or it can be by weight, but you see these people strip off armor. Some of these other games don't have PVP. You watch this one dude run around in a circle constantly cutting down all the trees, sniping <laughs> things from you. And you're like, this is, this is <laughs> like, why is this happening? Why is there nothing exactly. preventing you from doing that? So I, I did see a lot like that people seem kind of split of not liking this idea of having this spatial um, design for the bags. But when I'm seeing that, I'm like, okay, so now I've got a plan. It's like I, anything that seems to make something a little bit more difficult, I'm all about it. So I'm like, okay, yeah. so if I want to go out mining, I got to make sure I've got my mining bags. I got to have this. I got to be willing to potentially drop this thing to pick this up. Um, Correct. 
especially when you think about it from a PVP perspective as well, right? Some of those bags might have increased times to interact with a player corpse, right? And you can choose to perhaps have less capacity, less stack size, less slot availability for the certain types of gatherables you may want to acquire in exchange for an increased uh, interaction time for other players that might try to loot that bag, giving you time to reach it and take back your belongings, right? Oh, that's cool. Um, or, or if in the middle of a fight, they see a corpse on the ground and they're like, wait a minute, I want to grab that. Well, if I got to spend 10 seconds to interact with that corpse and there's combat going on, like this is an opportunity strategically for you to recapture the grounds, for you to recapture the battlefield, right? You want to think about those types of interactions. How do you add layers of strategy to engagements? And, and there's ways to do that through inventory management as well. It's funny that you brought that up because I, th I think Annie was looking at that and someone someone on Twitter was like, great, so it's just going to be an endless thing back going back and forth ganking. But I think they were being facetious. But Annie was like, she was like, yeah, actually, I think I just got sold actually, on using that. I, um, I, I don't mind the Tetris system, but I think logically I like the encumbrance aspect of it. But then once I read that and was like, oh, like that's just going to make it so somebody can't just kill you and like run off with your stuff exactly. in five seconds they have to actually organize it so that it gives yes. you a chance to come back and get your stuff back so it's like all right or I'm they may have, or, or they might not even have the slots available you know right. what I mean? it might, like, yeah it might be right. something they can't so even now they get. gotta organize and drop stuff and yeah yeah so. it, it, it might even be the case that their particular bag space doesn't have available location for a three by one log right and you're a lumberjack and they see you just chopping down these trees and you're like there's no point in me engaging with this person because i have nothing to gain due to my capacity right i know what i'm kitted for i chose these bags like you know there's a there's an additional layer then of of strategy there that i think is is interesting and i, I think right. so yeah definitely because... seeing that part definitely changed my mind on that a bit <laughs> and i think probably because most people are used to i can grab whatever i want i can shove this all in my bag i have space for all this i might have a reagent bag or whatever but it's like not understanding like what is the point of this but now you've got one now you're looking at time to kill time to loot and then having that time to now reclaim something that was potentially lost from you to keep that player fiction so yeah you might have that ongoing back and forth and it might be a, a thing of who wants to accrue the most xp debt and <laughs> But like, yeah. I can see that the, the reason now too behind that. And I, I think that's something that, again, kind of gets lost in context. And, and I think it's just because, you know, not to put you in a bad spot, but like, I feel like current MMOs spoon feed us a lot. You don't need to answer if that you feel the same way, but, um, I love when gamer Steven <laughs> comes out. So if you want to, you want to, you know. <laughs> no, no, I try not to get in trouble. <laughs> I, I, know. I, noticed, I, I noticed that Phelan says that's only if the player respects the corruption system again, um, trying to communicate the intent of a system. If players in large do not respect the corruption system, then the implementation of that corruption system has failed yep. and needs to be iterated upon. So first we must determine what is the intent of a system. Then we architect the system in order to achieve that intent. And if it doesn't, then we iterate on that system. Like that. that is, the, that is how you go about creating these these interactions, right? So um, corruption is a huge deterrent to open world PVP outside of opt-in events. Um, and that's not to say that players can't use it. It's to say that the intent is when used, it is extremely minimal in your play experiences. Perhaps a person within a month might experience in their playtime 2% of interaction with a corrupt player. 98% of their playtime is going to be with non-corrupt players, right? And so 
that's how we kind of iterate. How do we achieve what the intent is behind the system? Right. And even going along that lines, I, th I think there there's this particular game where a lot of people have had their PVP experience in, and there are no player protections in that <laughs> whatsoever. You can just oh, be yeah. out the world. They kill an NPC, they gank, they, they do this. And I feel like that's where a lot of that fear comes from because I don't hear it from other certain groups of MMO players, but this one particular game. And I, I feel like there are just a lot of people that 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 PVP and it in it's one of those things too where it just kind of feels tacked on where everything with ashes like even even now that we're even talking about why the spatial bag systems there everything seems like it's so baked into the core systems and so thought out and so meticulous of like this is why we're doing this that that is i think it's harder for people to grasp that because a lot of these systems when you do see in like and it's not even just the like say like poor game design some of the is limitation of what they could do when the games were made when they were made where you couldn't yeah. implement certain systems like this where now there's so much more technology there's there's so many more things that we can do so i think people do have a harder time grasping like well how's this even going to work because it didn't work in this game yeah. but then you're like but it wasn't in that game yeah, you know, I, I kind of equate it to, um, I don't know, you ever sit down with your friends and you're about to open up a brand new board game, right? You're all sitting around the table and you have this one friend who's like digging through the rule book and they're like reading it aloud every single it's sentence. Me. And you're just, and, and some people respond very positively to that. I call those the developer watchers. Those are people who are able to, to watch a development in progress because they love talking about it. They're very auditory related listeners. Like they are capable of following along. However, some people at the table are like, yeah, let's just get, let's just start playing. We'll figure it out when we start playing. <laughs> this is right? definitely not like, that's Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there are some people that are like that too. And that's okay. Like, we all are different types of learners. But what you described, it's not so much that I feel people can't grasp the systems. It's that I feel people are different in the sense of how they wished to grasp it. Some yeah, people yeah. want to grasp it by playing it, by touching it, by feeling it, right? And other people want to grasp it by talking about it, by reading through it, by understanding it, you know, in a different way. And the harsh reality is, is that this, you know, development journeys are are not for everybody. That's just a simple fact. The the what I what I gave you as an example is a testament to that truth. Um, but you know, we have to cater the 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 process of showing development in a transparent manner that is capable of transcending certain audiences or at least being mindful of the different audiences that are going to be watching right and you guys are an example of of an audience that are that are capable willing wanting to kind of get into the nitty-gritty during the discussion phase but there is a much larger portion of our audience that really just wants to either see or play um and and that's why we have to be careful how we do it yeah i, I would do when <laughs> <laughs> annie that's the question you see it a million times like Stephen's not going to drop an alpha like, two is in our stream oh no that wasn't me actually asking i was quoting those people <laughs> he was talking about yeah oh the ones that like yeah well that's i think you mentioned too that there's a lot of people that they're like you know the game looks so ready let's, let's launch it let's go and like that's like we're looking back and we're kind of seeing where, <laughs> where things seem like they're developed and we're kind of like uh i don't i don't know like i thought we were closer but then you like we're looking at some stuff and it's like because I, th I think we were kind of looking back like last year and we're like oh it's gonna be right around the corner and then 
Yeah. I, I don't remember which stream we saw, but we're like, oh, it's it's going to be a bit longer than everyone kind of predicted. Yeah, I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is, and we've said this a long time, and everybody's aware of this, like, what we're building is not a, uh, you know, wham, bam, thank you, man, we're moving to the next game. You know what I mean? We're trying to create something that has longevity. And uh, when we're talking about what it takes to do that right, it means that rushing it is the bane of every game possible. Yes. And, and it's not that we don't want to play, and it's not that we don't want to receive what our reward should be, which is the excitement, passion, happiness of the players we're making the game for. Like, yes, we feed and live off of our monthly presentations <laughs> to the community because it shows us how well our direction resonates with their target audience, right? Our fellow gamers. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, we have seen time and time again, as lovers of this genre ourselves, playing games that cut corners or playing games that were built not to last a long time, um, whether through whatever monetization strategies or design choices get made. Um, <clears throat> and the reality is, is that we're trying to do something different. And when we're trying to do that thing differently, um, there is a particular focus that we need to maintain and that is spending the time necessary to build it in a way uh, that is not going to result in the same experience we've all had in the past um, and it's painful it's difficult it's a lot of freaking time um, and effort but i think that it's worth the reward what is the what is the old saying is that uh, patience is uh, is bitter but its fruit is sweet and uh you know, that's something that we always got to keep our, our eye on. Yeah. I, d I don't know if I could do this with another game. I just, uh, cause I remember even when we first, we found it, <laughs> Annie had subscribed to the newsletters and everything when it was on Kickstarter and I'm definitely kicking myself that we didn't back it then. But I, I was so used to like, I know how long games take to develop. I don't want to see it. Don't show me. And then I forget what well, happened, it was, but it, it was love at first sight for me. Yeah, I was Annie like, was like yeah. always trying to show me. And I'm like, I know we're not going to see this for at least like 10. Like, why are you showing me this? And then something happened where I was like, yeah, shit. I was like, I'm, I'm in now. <laughs> but yeah, so like ever since then, it's like I've been glued to like anytime an article comes out, a video comes out and all these things where it's like, man, I just want to absorb. Like I, I've really enjoyed the process. And I think there's something too where for, for some of us, when, when we are following this, and I think it could also be why sometimes that reaction, why there's an emotional reaction with, with something that either someone misunderstood or maybe a design did change. But I think because having it starting following so early i think you get like this bit of i wouldn't say ownership but it's a word i'm going to use where you do like get this bit of yeah like you feel very connected to this this thing and that's one of the things that i love about it because it, it feels it's i don't know if it, it's like uh when you find a band that like no one knows about and then everyone learns about it you're like i don't like that band anymore but like it, it's just <laughs> you find it at the very beginning it just it's 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 amazing to follow but i don't think i could do this with another one and and props to you guys for having like i can only imagine the additional level of stress that comes with doing these and showing it and having it in the public oh, eye yeah. on it especially it like very, when, when you guys lifted difficult. the the nda during um alpha one and stuff <laughs> where it was like you know that that could have gone one of either ways and just being like no we want people to see this we want people to be able to talk about it so i i commend you guys a lot for just putting yourself out there to be able to take that criticism and stuff. Cause that's, it's something that even like these, you know, triple A studios, they're not doing, they're not putting themselves out there to, 
get either yeah, a bunch you know, of love or hate out of it. Yeah, you know, it's I've talked about this in the past, but the reality is is that I feel the paradigm is, is shifting a bit when it comes to game development. I hope it continues uh, in that sense. Um, because, you know, while, while watching development isn't for everybody, there is a large and healthy section of the gaming population that is willing and able to be part of a development uh, and to give their thoughts and experiences. And I think that's just an absolute treasure trove of navigational direction that's available to game developers overall. Um, it, it requires a significant investment, right? You have to be willing to spend the time um, to curate kind of the trans the level of transparency that is appropriate, um, but transparency being the key. Um, and, you know, it definitely adds a layer of complexity to an already complex process, which is making games in the first place. And, you know, making games is difficult. Making an MMO is probably the most difficult game you can make. And ours is a particularly ambitious one. So like there is just layer upon layer of difficulty and stress and you know moments of doubt and you know inflection like there's there's a lot of stuff um that that comes out through this process and it's years long but um ultimately you know it is important to keep your eye on the prize and that prize is being able to create something that you and your fellow gamers can look at and say this is fucking good you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's job. well, that's the thing too. And you, you had touched uh, just a little while ago about making a game that has longevity. And I think that's, I think even some developers for certain games, uh, I remember watching a, a, a dev stream about wow, how they were saying we never intended the game to be played eight hours a day, multiple times a week. Like it was never our intent to have that. And it seems like you guys are taking in consideration like that player that wants to it kind of going back to like um harkens back to some of the older mmos where it was almost like a second life and i that's something that annie and i have both been missing because we want we tend to be a, like a one game player like i haven't had a home in, in gaming for a very long time because i want to have one game i go to i think mmo players are a bit different than other genres because we want to have that thing this is where we log in this is where our friends are this is where we yeah you know we're excited to continue this progression and everything and for me personally yeah. i haven't had that game spark that because i'll, I'll you know like i said I, when ash is coming out I'll probably degen it as much as i can when it first comes out and like i do that with every game because i just want to sit there and soak suck everything up out of it and then i'm like well now i'm at the end game and now i'm just waiting every week to get a piece of loot were the yeah. login reward yeah <laughs> you know mmos are are a unique genre right they are the most socially elastic genre out there um and you know it makes sense it is a massively multiplayer genre right um so the unique opportunity that arises in forming friendships and in bonds with people whom you've never met before and it live on halfway across the world from you in a culture that's radically different from yours with a background that's uniquely diverse like you know that is just not typically an opportunity seen elsewhere in life let alone games um so it has a tendency to create very passionate friendships and relationships with people because you're spending those hours with them on a discord or on a team speaker or whatever right um and and in that sense 
you know, there is a special responsibility that comes from the development teams that create these environments um, because you're not just now offering entertainment for people, you're offering a home for people, a social home that they, that, you know, is an important component of being a human being. Um, so you want to make sure that you're treating that home with respect and with integrity when building it, uh, and you're dedicating the time and, um, you know, resources that comes along with making that home. And so, you know, taking our time with this development is something that's important um, and I think is ultimately what players will want, even if their patient says otherwise during that process. Yeah, I feel like once you guys finally do get to a point where it releases or even even in the betas, that's where you're going to see a lot of that turnaround where I, I feel like there's so many con um, people that are, are, are said it was going to fail in the beginning. So they're just holding on to that, too, where they're like, I can't I can't be wrong. I said this was a I said it wasn't can't going be wrong. Where. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because games that are scam definitely make decals in the grass when you stomp on it. But that's a different tangent. But <laughs> just that was the thing, too. It, because I, I will see arguments of people talking about some of the detail. Why are they focusing on that? Why are they focusing on that? And it's like, do you know any other game that focuses on those small details? Like, it's a well, just seeing the labor of not not saying that they yeah. don't, but seeing the amount of yeah. labor of love that you. And I'm I'm not trying to throw any other developer saying sure. they don't yeah, do yeah, that, no, but I'm yeah. saying the like some of these small small details that we see in in the in some of the design in like um. Just like trying to get the physics right on the on the trees falling or trying to get a very specific animation out of this, like mm -hmm. trying to have these very specific things that you guys are going for. Like, I feel that when I watch it where I'm like, man, that's that's amazing that you guys thought about that small detail, yeah. which seems to kind of get glossed over a bit on some of these other things. Yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, I think that that's a, a great observation as it relates to what I was just talking about in creating that home, right? It's those minute details that can have a large impact um, for the immersion quality of the home or world you're in, right? And I think what, you know, when people say, why are they focusing on this? Um, oftentimes, those types of details are not really a focus. They're the icing on top of a core feature that a developer has the love to introduce, <laughs> right? It might not even be a part of the game design document, but like, hey, I spent some extra time this evening or over the course of this last week's evenings making this idea. What do you think about it, Stephen? And I'm just like, holy shit, let me let you cook. You know, just go. Do, <laughs> you know, I love that. Do, do, do what you do what you think's best because obviously you have the passion for it, right? Like that's why one of the biggest qualifiers for the people that we hire at Intrepid, and probably one of the components of why, you know, I'm a very selective individual when it comes to introducing new members to the team. Um, you know, is, are you an MMO gamer? Have you played MMOs before? Yes, you can model a creature, you know, yes, you can code a feature, um, but do you know what it's like to be the player on the other side of the screen who's going to play the thing you're doing? And do you know what it means to play it, right? Have you experienced that sense of community? Do you know what an MMO genre is truly? Um, and yeah, it's hard to find those individuals to a degree, 
because MMOs aren't as big of a genre as they used to be. I believe that the golden years have yet to come, um, but you know, historically, there's been a little bit of a lull. Um, and so, you know, I it is what helps find that magic that you just described, right? Is is people who love and appreciate the genre. That's right. so important too. I say, and I think it really shines through a lot of the work that you guys do because, like, we'll we'll be sitting there watching, and, and you're like, man, that is just little things will pop out where it's like, I can't believe they thought about that, or like, and I, I love seeing that because it it just for me it showcases like how much of labor of love this this project is and how much of a passion project it is, and like it it literally almost comes off as like this love letter to the MMO genre of like. This is, these are all the things that we all wished and wanted for and like it, a lot of them either fell short or, or wasn't there at the time. And like, just seeing this, it's one of the reasons I just get so pumped for this project and like why we've, you know, I decided to make content for it and things like that. Yeah, yeah we don't yeah, do absolutely. this for just anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey guys, I, I have an eight o'clock that's about to start in 20 minutes and I need to prep for it. But I, I just wanted to come on and say, uh, I like watching you guys chat about things. I think you guys are an eclectic group and you have so much experience in the MMO genre itself. Um, I love the fact that you cover Ashes and that you guys give your thoughts because it's a great touch point when it comes to understanding the motivation of players who are different than me, who are different than you know people at the studio, but are also the same in so many respects um so thanks for having me on I, i'm glad i was able to chat with you guys a little bit and i look forward to future shows awesome hey Steve, yeah, one thing thanks so much for coming Steve, on one yeah. thing can you give yes, Corey permission what? to come on our show Corey? oh yeah. my goodness maybe in the future let me chat with Corey about that <laughs> oh man if the i can't control myself spilling how can i control Corey spilling I'm, i'll be i'll be gentle i won't ask any questions that... i love it all right guys thanks for having me awesome thanks for being on Steven. Hi, Steven. Bye, thank you thanks, Steve. Bye. That's good. oh my yeah, I um <laughs> that was something different. Uh I Wow, guys. There's 73 of you watching. Thanks you for coming and hanging out while uh Steven hijacked our stream. That was amazing. Um which was nice because we still got to touch on a lot of things. Man, I fangirled so hard when he first I I lot I'm glad that's on camera so you can all see how much of a fucking fangirl I, I am. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I probably blushed a, a bunch bit. of times. I'm, I'm sitting Slush. over here like trying to fucking produce a show and I'm like, I can't think. Someone else take care. I need an adult. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>